Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. Also, thank you to those who served in Vacation Bible School this past week. And I know some of them are back. They're working with children right now. But if you pick up your kids today, uh, be sure to thank the children's ministry workers. It was a joyous time this past week, great past two weeks, seeing smiling faces and neighbors here. And we're so grateful for all those who labor and love. God's word to us this morning is Ephesians 4. Let's worship him as we read together verses 7 through 13, Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 7. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in the sight of our God. And Lord, may you empower this preaching and our hearing of your words so that our lives are transformed by your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Back, I think, when I was in fourth grade, there was a day when I was called out of the classroom to go to the school library. And I was told that I was going to be assessed. I was going to be tested to see if I qualify for a special program for more advanced students. I got into the library, and I remember them doing a battery of different tests. I think there was some reading and some math and some spelling, and everything was sailing along pretty smoothly until she reached into her bag and took out some puzzles. And she put the puzzles on the table, and then there was a timer. And as I looked at this, I started sweating because puzzles under pressure is not my forte. And sure enough, just as I dreaded, the timer went off before I finished the puzzles. And I can still remember the lady saying to my mom, we think David will be more comfortable if he stays where he is. I flunked out of the gifted program. I've got over the pain of that since then. But for the rest of the year, I'd watch some of my classmates leave at certain times of the week. They wouldn't say, we're going to the gifted program. They'd just say, we're going to gifted. And it made me feel like, what are the rest of us here? The ungifted? <laughs> I have good news for you this morning. If you belong to Jesus, you are gifted. God has a gifted program, and everyone who belongs to Jesus is part of it. That's what Paul is saying in verse 7. He says, Now grace was given to each one of us 
according to the measure of Christ's gift. And here the word grace is not referring to the grace that saved us. It's not referring to the grace that sanctifies us. It's the grace that is given to us as a gift for ministry to others. That's the grace he's talking about here. And notice that he says this grace was given to each one of us. In the passage we looked at last week, the focus was on our unity, our oneness in Christ. We saw in verse 4 through 6 that this oneness is based on a sevenfold truth, that there is one body, one spirit, one hope to which we've been called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is above all and through all and in all. And so the unity of the body of Christ that we are to make every effort to preserve, it's based on the fact that we have a common faith in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. There is a unity in the body of Christ, but there's also a diversity in the body of Christ, and that's what Paul is giving attention to here in this passage. He says, to each one of us was given a gift, a grace, according to the measure of Christ's gift. And each of us has been gifted differently by Christ. And it's this combination of our unity in the body of Christ and our diversity in the body of Christ that makes us a compelling community. If we only had unity, if all of us looked the same and acted the same and talked the same and dressed the same, that would be uniformity and the world wouldn't take notice of the church. And if we only had diversity where everyone's doing their own thing but not in partnership with one another, that would be chaos. The only reason the world should pay attention to the church of Jesus Christ is if they see something that God is building here in our midst that, that can't be created in any other way, that God is building a people who are one in unity but who are also diverse in, in their giftings and in their personalities and in the way they serve. Tim Keller loves to say there's a difference between an aggregation and a congregation. What he means is an aggregation, an aggregate, it's like a bag of marbles. And you can have 100 marbles in a bag, and they're all slipping and sliding next to one another. They're not in any kind of relationship, not in any kind of pattern. They're not connected to each other. They're just all in the same bag. And, and some churches are like that. They're an aggregation of people all in the same bag. But a congregation is not like a bag of marbles. A congregation is a body. And in the body, you have a head, and you have hands, and you have feet, and you have elbows. And all the parts are intimately connected and interdependent on one another. And that's the picture we get of the church in the New Testament. Each one of us is gifted with a unique grace from Christ that this church needs in order to flourish. You are needed in this church. You are not an accident in the body of Christ. Don't think of yourself as someone who is left out of the gifted program. Someone who takes a seat while the gifted people, maybe those who are on the platform, do the work. No, Christ has generously graced you, his body, each of you, with a special gift according to his own good purposes for you and for this body. And the church, this church, can't afford to have any of you sitting on the sidelines. Someone, 
might be gifted to communicate the truth. Someone else is gifted to bear burdens. Someone else is gifted to cast vision and to give direction. While someone else is gifted to make sure that the car that's supposed to take us in that direction has enough gas and is in good enough maintenance to bring us there. There are people this morning in our church who are feeling downcast, and someone is gifted to bring a word of encouragement. Someone here is wounded, and someone else has the gift to bring healing. Someone else in our church may be going astray this morning, and someone has the gift to bring correction and restoration. Someone here may be lacking wisdom and knowledge, and someone else is gifted to bring instruction. Someone here may be without hope and without God in the world still, and someone is gifted to bring the good news of the gospel, of how Jesus rescues sinners and brings us into the, God, the family of God. You see the point? As many needs as there are in the body of Christ, there are so many gifts in order to meet those needs. And each of us needs to be on the lookout as we come to church. We even need to be praying as we come into church, where should I sit? Who can I talk to today? How can I minister to the body today? How can I use the gifts you've given me, Jesus, to build up this body? Because the body of Christ malfunctions. It's if each of us isn't using the gifts Christ has given us to build up his body. You are called by God to do specific works that no one else can do. Each of us is part of God's gifted program. But knowing you're gifted doesn't necessarily mean you know how to use those gifts. So we need practical instruction, how we can flourish in God's gifted program. And that's what we're going to do this week and next week. And this morning, I want to just focus on three points, three practical points for how to flourish in God's gifted program. And point number one is this. Remember how you got into God's gifted program. And this is where we need to look at verses 8 through 10. These verses can seem a bit, bit difficult or confusing, but they're actually gospel gold if you've got the patience to dig. So we've got to put on our thinking caps, we've got to dig a little bit, and then we're going to get gold. So Paul has told us in verse 7 that our Savior Christ the King has been generous to us in gracing each of us in his body with gifts. Then in verse 8, what Paul is doing here is he's drawing from his meditation on the Old Testament, specifically Psalm 68. And I love to read and pray through the Psalms each month. August 1st, great day to start, praying through the Psalms. And as I get to Psalm 68, I'll admit, it's one of the Psalms that's full of imagery that I sometimes find difficult to grasp and understand. It's the Psalm that begins with these words, God arises and his enemies are scattered. So that gives you an idea of the theme of the psalm. It's a psalm about how God is a victorious king. He led his people out from their slavery and captivity in Egypt. He marched them through the dry wasteland and the earth trembled. Then God settled his people in the promised land. All their enemies were defeated. And finally, God the king came from Mount Sinai in his sanctuary and ascended to the throne where he was now present among his people. And that happened in the tabernacle, where the Ark of the Covenant was brought into the Holy of Holies by King David. 
So it's a psalm about the victory of a king over all his people's enemies. And in the ancient world, when a king defeated all the enemies of his people, all the surrounding nations would send gifts to this victorious king because they would want to be on his good side. That, that was the spoils of the king's victory. And that's exactly what happened as you read the Old Testament, especially in the time of King David's son, Solomon. When the kingdom of God's people reached its apex in splendor, and nations and kings and queens flowed into Solomon's kingdom, bringing all the splendor, all the wealth of their kingdoms to honor God's anointed king. So when a king was victorious, if he was a good king, what he would do is he would share the gifts that he'd received through his victory with his people. His bounty would become their blessing. And that's what the Apostle Paul is thinking about as he meditates on Psalm 68, about a victorious king whose bounty becomes his people's blessing. And he's viewing all of that truth in the light of a much greater king, our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, all of us should read scripture in this way. We should see how all of it is pointing to Christ. Paul can't read Psalm 68 anymore without thinking about the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he thinks about the ascension, the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, he has to think about the descent of the Lord Jesus Christ. How he came from the highest heights and stooped down to the lowest depths and became obedient even to the point of death. Death on a cross. And what was he doing on the cross? He was waging war against the enemies of his people. He was taking on sin, death, and hell. And he was buried in the grave. He descended to those depths, but then he was raised from the dead. And he has ascended now and exalted to the highest place. That's what we see in verse 10. That after this king, our Lord Jesus not only risked his life to free us from the chains that held us captive, after he sacrificed his life, now the same one who descended to the earth and to the cross, what does it say in verse, seven, or verse 10? He is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things with himself. So how high is Christ now? Well, this has been a major theme in the book of Ephesians. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father on high. He has ascended in his glory. It's said in Ephesians 1, 20, 21 and 22. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And now here in Ephesians 4, Paul is telling us one of the ways the church benefits from the exaltation and the ascension of Jesus Christ. That when Christ was ascended, he defeated all our enemies. Look at what it says in verse 8. He took the captives captive. He defeated all our enemies. And he did that so that the Holy Spirit could now come dwell in our lives and lavish us with his gifts. He took the captives captive and he gave gifts to people. Paul tells us all this in this kind of exalted language so that we will realize how awesome it is to be indwelt by and to be gifted by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. 
The gifts of the Spirit aren't just some token airport gift. Like if your dad goes away on a trip and he forgets to buy you a present. And so he's in the airport in Washington, D.C., and he has 10 minutes, and he runs into that shop, and he gets you a little keychain, a little token gift to just say, I love you. That's not the way the gifts of the Spirit of the ascended Christ are. When Christ ascended, he triumphed over all our enemies, and he is giving us the very best he has to give when he gives us his Holy Spirit. He is giving us a choice treasure. So to have the Holy Spirit in our lives and to be accompanied with the gifts of the Holy Spirit is a precious privilege, and we always need to keep this in mind because what it will do is when we're operating in the gifts of the Spirit, when we're serving the body of Christ with our gifts, it will remind us continually that this is not about us that we did not make this happen. The only reason we can serve the way we do and, 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 and build up the body the way we do is because of what Jesus has done for us. We didn't earn these gifts. Jesus did. Jesus didn't give these gifts to us for our own selfish enjoyment or for our own promotion. He gave us the gifts he's given us so that we can serve his people. He is filling all things with himself and filling his church with himself through the gifts of his spirit so, that, so we should never get puffed up with ourselves when we're serving in the gifts of his spirit. If you ever boast about how you serve in the body of Christ, you are robbing Jesus of the glory that belongs to him because your service in the body of Christ is simply a gift that he has obtained at great cost to himself. When you think about the Olympics, it's, it's like Jesus, he has won the qualifying meet. He has won the qualifying match with sin and Satan. And that's how he got you into his gifted program. And so every gold medal needs to be given back to him. He's the triumphant king who got us into the gifted program. So always remember that, and it will have a humbling effect. It will take away jealousy and rivalry as we serve in the gifts of the Spirit, because it's actually through the gospel of Jesus that we're able to do that. That's the first instruction. The second is this. If you want to use the gifts the Spirit has given you, recognize that you need equipping. In verse 11, Paul focuses on some of the gifts of the ascended Christ. These are not all of the gifts of the Spirit. There are several lists of gifts of the Spirit in the New Testament. None of them are identical. It's all just a way of saying there are many gifts of the Spirit, many ways that the Spirit gifts his people to serve. But in verse 11, I want you to notice what these gifts have in common. What do the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and then the pastors and teachers? And that last gift, I think, is a group, pastors and teachers. What what do they have in common? What's similar about the function of apostle, prophet, evangelist, and pastor, teacher? Well, the thing that's similar is that all of them focus on the ministry of the word. That's what's similar. These are word ministries. Now, if you look at the context of Ephesians, in chapter 2, verse 20, Patrick preached on a while back, you see that the church is God's household. Christ Jesus is the cornerstone. And what's the foundation? The apostles and prophets. So in chapter 4, I believe that Paul here is referring to the first century apostles. 
those who witnessed with their own eyes the risen Christ, and they received revelation from him to complete the New Testament. He's talking here about people like Peter, James, and John, and Paul himself. So they're foundational. We don't have those kinds of apostles today anymore. And then the prophets, likewise, I believe, are referring to those who taught and preserved the faith during the first century until the New Testament was completed. I don't think this reference here is identical to the gift of prophecy that we read about in 1 Corinthians 14. But then there's this second group of giftings that are very active in the church today, the evangelists and the pastor-teacher. Okay, And the evangelists, John Stott says, they're like the obstetricians in the church. They're the church's baby doctors. A lot of times they travel around the world and travel from place to place and make house visits and proclaim the good news of the gospel. And they're particularly gifted in proclaiming the gospel in such a way that God uses them to often give birth to new converts, new people who are born into the kingdom of God through their ministry. And then the pastors and teachers, they're like the pediatricians of the church. They're the ones who nurture and protect and guide the growth of the body through shepherding the flock and teaching the word of God, the word that was given through the apostles and prophets. Now, it's possible to have the gift of teaching and not be a pastor. A lot of them end up working in seminaries or in other ways. But everyone who is a pastor, a shepherd in the body of Christ, needs to be a teacher, a minister of the word. We shepherd people primarily through the ministry of the word. And that's not just in formal ways like from the pulpit, but it is one of the reasons why I'm committed to not preaching at New Covenant every Sunday of the year. I'm committed to not preaching at New Covenant because we as a church want to see the gifts of other pastoral leaders function. I'm the lead pastor of our church. I'm not the only pastor of our church. And those who are associate pastors and elders in this church are not less of a pastor than I am. It's vital for all of our pastors to be ministers of the word. So we've set up an arrangement as elders where I am committed to preaching two-thirds of the Sundays each year, and then one-third of the Sundays are reserved for others who are being equipped, who are being trained, who are being elevated by God and gifted by God to preach the word of God to you on those Sundays. So when I'm not in the pulpit on a Sunday First of all, remember, this is not David Sunday's pulpit. This is God's ministry through his shepherd teachers in the church. And, and also realize I'm not necessarily out of the pulpit because I need a break, although I sometimes do. But that this is more intentional than that. This is intentional. We're being intentional about building a team of pastor teachers so that this body of Christ can be enriched by the varied gifts that Christ gives to his church and also so that we as a church can bless the broader body of Christ by being used to raise up pastors who will be sent from here into other ministries. So this list of gifts in verse 11 is not exhaustive. But Paul focuses on these word ministry gifts in verse 11 because of the way these gifts 
minister the word for a particular purpose. And that purpose is found in verse 12. Look at verse 12. Why do these different gifts minister the word? It is, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. So the work of the ministry is not the sole responsibility of apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. No, the work of the ministry is the responsibility of you. It's the responsibility of every member in the body of Christ. All of God's people are saints. We are the holy ones. We belong to God. We're all gifted. We're all ministers in the body of Christ. But we need to be equipped in order to do our ministry in the body of Christ. And that's why pastors and teachers and the others minister the word of God. It's through the ministry of the word that you are being equipped to do your ministries in the body. So what does it actually mean to equip the saints? Well, that word equip means to mend what is broken or to supply what is lacking. That's what it means, to mend what is broken, to supply what is lacking. So in other words, even though all of us have been gifted by the Spirit, we still have things about us that are broken. And we have things about us that are lacking. And we need the ministry of the church as a whole to equip us and to build us up. We can't do the ministry the Spirit wants us to do in isolation from the church. I like the way John Piper puts it. He says this, This text makes plain that all of you are gifted with a measure of grace and all of you are in some measure lacking the improvement of grace. The one proves that you are vitally needed by the church. The other proves that the church is vitally needed by you. You see that interdependence there? The church needs you in order to be built up, exercising your gifts. But you need the church in order to be equipped to exercise your gifts. So let me give you a couple ways we all need this mending work. We all need this supplying equipping work of the Spirit. One of the reasons we need equipping is because we're all in danger of using our gifts without knowledge. Look at verse 13. Why is this equipping ministry going on in the body? It's verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son. Now that means there is a specific knowledge we need to have in order to exercise our gifts meaningfully. It's the knowledge of God's Son. And the knowledge of God's Son is the key to understanding all of the Scriptures. We need to grow in this knowledge so that we will all, as a body, reach unity in the faith. We all need to learn to read the Bible the way Paul did, so that when we read Psalm 68... Our instincts will be trained to be looking ahead to the ascension of Christ and to see that's what Psalm 68 is pointing to. And the more we grow into the knowledge of Christ in all the scriptures, the more we will also grow into unity in the faith. So no matter what you've been gifted by Christ to do, you need to grow in your knowledge of Christ and in your knowledge of the Christian faith to use that gift effectively. God doesn't want us just to be spiritual activists, working, working, working. God wants you to be a student of his word 
a lifelong learner. He wants you to be earnestly engaged in that. That's why we take as much time as we do to preach the word every Sunday, because we need to be engaged as students. That's why we have Bible studies and spur groups, etc. But there's another reason we need mending and supplying and equipping, and that's because we're all in danger of separating the gifts of the Spirit from the fruit of the Spirit. That's a dangerous separation. Let me read you verse 13, this time from the New Living Translation. Again, it's speaking of why we need this equipping ministry, and listen to what it says. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son, and here it is, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Now, I want you to think about that. This is probably beyond our ability to wrap our minds around, and it's certainly not going to be something we're going to grasp if we are superficial in our thinking right now. God wants us This is the aim of our ministry in the body of Christ. He wants us to grow more and more into the kind of person Jesus is. Literally, it says we are to grow into a mature man. And Christ is the mature man. Christ has all the gifts of the Spirit. We only have, each of us only has some of the gifts. But Christ also has all of the fruit of the Spirit. And he wants us to have all of the fruit each of us to have all the fruit. So what kind of person is Jesus? The mature man? He's he's someone who loves. He's someone who's full of joy. He's someone who is full of peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And what this is saying here is that the aim of our ministry in the body is that we would grow into a person who loves like Jesus and rejoices like Jesus and has peace like Jesus and is patient like Jesus and shows kindness like Jesus and demonstrates goodness like Jesus and lives in faithfulness like Jesus and practices gentleness like Jesus and exercises self-control like Jesus. And though none of us has all the gifts, we all need to be growing in all the fruit and we need to be equipped through the word in the church, in order to grow that way. That's what it means to be mature in Christ. That means that you can't say when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, well, I'll take joy. You take self-control. I want the joy gift. You get the self-control. No, no. The fruit of the Spirit is a composite whole. It's inseparable. And the fruit of the Spirit can only ripen in our lives through an ongoing living communion with God through his word and the fellowship of his people. And the danger all of us face is that it is shockingly easy to exercise the gifts of the Spirit while divorcing ourselves from the fruit of the Spirit. We see it all the time. As famous leaders and powerful people and and also obscure people, as people Go on having ministries and doing things in Jesus' name while their lives are becoming detached from the reality of communion with Christ and their character is becoming decreasingly like Christ. And, And they deceive themselves into thinking that because I'm effective in using my gifts and all these people are being touched, therefore God's blessing is on me. They confuse the gifts of the Spirit with the fruit of the Spirit. And eventually, that catches up to everyone. 
without the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit will not contribute to building up the body of Christ. In fact, without the fruit of the Spirit, without the character of Christ in us, without becoming more and more mature in Christ, people who are very gifted but not walking in the fruit of the Spirit end up causing more harm to the church than good because they end up dividing the church instead of building the church into unity and maturity in Christ. So this is why we need equipping to use our gifts meaningfully in the church. But not only do we need the input of equipping, we also need the output of exercising our gifts. And that brings me to the third practical instruction this morning. Take responsibility for building up the body of Christ. You, right where you are right now, take responsibility for learning how to use your role, your gift, in building up the body of Christ. That's the goal of all our ministry. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And here's the goal, to build up the body of Christ. You and I, each of us, need to take responsibility for our role in doing that. We need to own it. The best way to discover your gifts is not to go online and take some survey. Maybe that'll help. But probably what you really need to do is dive in somewhere and start serving. Get to work. Learn. See how God uses you. You learn the gifts that God has given you through active service. And and the goal is to exercise your gifts in a way that the whole body is being built up and strengthened. That means if you're serving in youth ministry, you're not just happy if the youth group's going well. You're thinking about the senior adults in the church. How are they being built up? How are they being engaged and equipped for mission? And and you want your ministry to have some effect on their lives and on bringing blessing to them. It means that if you're gifted in evangelism, you're not just out there thinking about evangelism all the time, but you're also concerned about the teaching ministry of the church so that people who are being birthed into the body of Christ may be built up into discipleship and become mature in Christ. And that's a lifelong process. You see, the point here is that the body is an integrated whole. We're interconnected, and we can never isolate ourselves or our gifts from any other part of the body. As we serve in the body, we are caring about the flourishing of the whole church. So here's what I want every one of us in God's gifted program to take away from this text this morning. Each of us has been gifted. Unless, and unless each of us is actively using his or her gift to build up the body of Christ, all of us, to some extent, are going to remain immature in the faith. Paul's telling us here how the body grows into maturity, and it's through all of us working hard to exercise the gifts we've been given to build up the body as a whole. We need the input of the equipping ministries of these gifts in verse 11. We need the output of the exercise of our own gifts to build up the body of Christ. Without that, we're all going to be immature. I've been thinking about a song that was popular when I was in junior high and high school. If you want to go 
back to the glory days of the 80s. You can find this on YouTube. It was by Amy Grant called Fat Little Baby. It's kind of a fun song to listen to. But she talks about a man who just approaches the church like an observer, not as a participant. He doesn't really feed on the word. He doesn't really exercise his gifts. And she goes on and on saying, you're just a fat little baby. Wah, wah, wah. And whining. And it's, it's a good song to listen to in light of this passage. We're being tested. How do you view the church here? How do you approach the church? Colin Smith from the Orchard in Arlington Heights says, too often we come to the church with these distorted images. We think of the church as a gas station where we go to get our spiritual gas tank filled up so that we can live the rest of the week and keep on going. In our days, now it would be the next three weeks because people don't come to church as much. Or we think of the church as a movie theater where you go to be to have this escape for an hour and sit in comfortable seats and air conditioning and there's even childcare. And then you leave. Or we can think of the church as a drugstore where I come to have my prescription filled to soothe my pain. Or we can think of the church as a big box retailer offering the best products in a clean and safe environment for our family all at an incredibly low price. That's how we can approach the church. Do any of those hit a nerve with you? Is God calling you to repent of a consumer mindset in your approach to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? What is this text saying? It's reminding us that the church is the living body of Christ, the triumphant king. It's the body of Christ, the king, and he has gifted each of his members with gifts. And these gifts are kingdom power from the Spirit of Christ to build up the body until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, until we're all growing into maturity in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. That's what the church is. So the church needs you to exercise the gifts Christ has given you, and you need the church to equip you to exercise those gifts. And there will be more to come on how we can do that next week. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of belonging to Christ. And not only belonging to him, but being gifted by him to build up his body. It is all of grace. And we want to stand in awe of that grace. And as we come to this precious time in our service, we want to remember the source of all that grace in the life, death, and resurrection of your son, Jesus, who is now exalted to the highest place. We pray that you would Help us to look beyond the bread and the cup to what these these elements represent. To experience real living communion with Christ in the bread and in the cup. Strengthen us so that we might serve you and your body in the power of your spirit with a fresh and vivid 
awareness of your presence, your ministry of grace and mercy to us. In Jesus, amen.